Welcome to Healthy, Wealthy, and Grateful with your hosts, Coach Dave, Heather, and James, where we provide you with the tools and entertainment to bring clarity, balance, focus, and butterflies to your everyday life. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Grateful. We've got Coach David, we got Heather Andrew, and myself, James Johnson here. And we're trying to, every week to bring you something to help you with health, becoming more healthy, more wealthy, and more grateful. And here we are. Oh my gosh, it's April. And this is an April Fool's, folks. This is it's the real deal. We're already here. And, you know, because we're in April, I think probably two topics that we should definitely be talking about right now is got the deadline coming up for taxes, unless, of course, they changed it. And then we also have a lot to do with gardening right now. This We're coming into the peak season, aren't we, Heather? So it's definitely time to get your seeds ready to go in the ground if they're not already. Uh, certainly here in my zone seven, we're not past our frost date, but our seedlings have been started inside in anticipation thereof. So we're approximately a little oh, about six to eight weeks out from our last frost. And it'll be time for some of those warm season vegetables in my case to be going in the ground because they have a very sh short shelf life here because we have a short growing season compared, not compared to you who have a, a little bit longer of a time and, and probably already have started some of your warm season crops. Yes. And so, and so Dave, I know that you put your peas in the ground. How, how, how did your peas do? They are going, they're going. Uh, they haven't died yet, which is amazing. <laughs> uh, I, I, I kill everything else. So, uh, so far, so good. The good thing about being out here in, in SoCal is that everything grows and it's kind of hard to, you know, to get things, you know, to, 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 to die. So, so yep. it's been good. Heather has been a, a wonderful, you know, I, I send her emails and texts and she always answers me and says, no, 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 to do this instead, you know, and it's all awesome. So, yeah. And definitely too, um, this is the migration, right? So all of the overwintering birds and butterflies are now headed back north. And so the butterflies that left, monarch butterflies that left my home in September, October, their great grandchildren uh, will be making their way into my yard here, probably in another month and a half to two months. So, um, so the generations are now starting to fly north. And so this is when it becomes super crucial to have not only milkweed seeds in your yard and plants, but in addition, um, nectar sources for these migratory birds and butterflies. Milkweed. You know, you talk about milkweed seeds. I put some in my front yard, I don't know, five years ago or something like that. And, and now they're everywhere. <laughs> they do have a tendency to spread, but I will say that's a good problem to have. And if you can share, share with your neighborhood and certainly to uh, let your local garden clubs and uh, conservancies know because they, milkweed, we're about a billion sticks of milkweed down in the middle of the country. Um, so one of the challenges out West right now is the population almost completely collapsed last year due to the fires as well as the droughts that you had. So the overwintering trees that they stay in in California 
not to mention the severe fires that occurred out west, um, pretty much has decimated and almost made the Western population of monarchs extinct, which is terrifying. So um, sadly, the government chose not to add monarchs to the uh, endangered list. So they are still um, in a special category, but they're not considered endangered yet. So I'm just afraid we've, we've paid attention too late um, for the Western population, but certainly for those on the East Coast, um, there were over 8,800 new Monarch way stations added in the U.S. last year, and we'd certainly love to see more people participate in Doug Tallamy's campaign, which is called Get on the Map. And ideally, what they're trying to do is to map all properties that contain uh, areas that have been converted for wildlife. So if you are a pollinator gardener like me, or you are have converted your yard or portion thereof for wildlife by planting native plants. Uh, Doug Tallamy's goal is to sort of consolidate this patchwork quilt of maps that we have from these different societies into one. And I was with his team last week talking about how we can work together to um, make more people aware of his initiative, which is called Homegrown National Park. So many uh, counties and cities and states, as you know, you couldn't really go anywhere during pandemic. And what he's trying to encourage us to do is to um, take the largest crop in the United States, which is grass and reduce the lawn by half. So that's my, uh, my challenge to you all this year is to look at your lawn and see if there's a portion thereof that you'd be willing to give up and uh, make it habitat for your native birds and butterflies. You know, on that milkweed thing, I, on my milkweed plants and nowhere else, I get this really weird looking red and black beetle. What is that thing? It's a milkweed beetle. So, I mean, when you plant it, they will come. I mean, they are certainly part of the ecosystem. Um, they feed on the sap of the milkweed. Milkweed sap is toxic, but it's not going to kill you um, unless you're to just ideally don't eat it, don't put it in eyes. It, it can hurt you in that way. But um, this is what makes uh, monarchs not so tasty to a bird because uh, they do ingest that milkweed sap and it does make them uh, poisonous. So um, if you bird eats one of them or bites one of them, they will get a nice stomach ache and likely never do it again. So that orange color is sort of a warning to uh, birds and other predators not to eat them. So, so I, 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 I freaked out the first time I saw those beetles and there's a lot of them. <laughs> like, what is this? Like, and, but then I realized it's only on the milkweed plant. I don't see it yeah. anywhere else. So, I mean, this is the thing that you have to be aware of as a pollinator gardener, which is if no one's eating your garden, you don't have an organic garden. So we as a pollinator gardeners, we want to see damage on our plants because that means someone is eating it. And that is a very good sign because if you've got caterpillars and beetles and other types of insects, you're going to get birds. And because so, you know, I let my uh, nature's hot dogs, which are caterpillars, um, are the food for your nestlings, which are going to be in your shrubs and teas, trees. 
So I, do you I know did. how many, how, this is a quiz, quiz question for you guys. And I know you have a question, Dave. How yes. many caterpillars does one nest of chickadees need for, to successfully raise a brood? Which is hundreds, thousands. I, I, I'm going to go like over how long? Over so two months? It usually takes a few weeks for them to feed them and raise them and get them out. So three weeks. How many? How many caterpillars per day? And how many total are they going to need? I'm going to go with like five hundred. Okay, James. I went with a thousand or more. Five to seven thousand caterpillars. So. Wow. It's a lot. It's a lot. And so if you're a birder and you want more birds in your yard, you need to provide food. And so last year, this time of year, I was growing my brassias. So brassias are like broccoli and kale and cabbage. And um, I got these little cabbage butterflies and they're a nuisance. And I made a mistake. So let me tell you about it so you don't repeat it. But I was leaving my landscape lighting on at night and it was right by the brassias so that was like a beacon for all the butterflies to come and lay their eggs on my beautiful kale which they then ate completely to the ground the good news was there is a beautiful side to this story which is i would just go out and pick them in the morning and put them in the bird feeder so nature's hot dogs, the birds were thrilled. And again, I was supporting all of those nestlings that were in my yard because those, those mommy and daddy birds, if you ever watch them, are working really hard to keep them fill, filled up. So I have an awning built over the back of my house. So it's built onto my house over the back of my house. Not one of those slotted things, it's fully roofed in. And so the birds come every year and build nests inside of it. And so I have like nest up inside of it and they come in and they do that. And then I get these freaking worms. They're like this long, about that big around. They're probably two, three inches long. And they're green and they get on the tomato plants. I mean, you can really be looking right at it and not see it. They blend in so well. And then the other thing I get is in my garden, Every year I take my garden and I turn it under, completely under it. I have a big, I built a big shaker and I sift out all the, the weeds and everything inside of their roots and all that. And inside of there are these little white grub things. What are those? Uh, probably Japanese beetles. Mm -hmm. Do you get Japanese beetles in your, in your yard? Well, I feed those to the birds, but <laughs> you know, I don't let them stay in my garden. Yeah. Um, it, it, so the green things are, are tomato hornworms. They can be very, again, a huge nuisance because they will eat your tomato plants. But have you ever noticed that some of them look like they have white pieces yep. of rice on them? Yep. So that is actually, I would leave that one because it's been parasitized by a wasp. Uh, the wasp has laid eggs on the tomato hornworm and those wasps are good for your garden. Those are good guys that are gonna hatch out of that tomato um, hornworm. Kind of scary, 3D, alien-like, but <laughs> good for the garden. Um, you know, but those grubs very well could be um, Japanese beetles. Um, they start off, a lot of insects start their life at, as, a, as a beetle, but I'm gonna encourage you to do something a little different, James. I'm gonna encourage you not to turn that garden under this year and instead build it up. It's called no dig gardening. I think you're gonna be really surprised at how little weeds you're gonna have because 
you're not unearthing the weed seeds when you turn it over. Well, the only th problem that may come from that is, is there's a lot of clay in it and, yep. and it tends to, it tends to get a root ball in it. So, so, it, it, yep. it, so it, what it, I would it, do it, is I would save your Amazon boxes, remove all of the tape and all of the staples, lay them flat, no stickers or no, you know, so really plain boxes are best. And then have someone bring you a load of compost in and you're going to put the compost over that. So what that's going to do, you're going to plant right in that compost. And, you know, what I think you're going to find is that you're going to have much better soil because clay, unfortunately, is very mineral rich, but it also holds water. And so there's not too many veggies out there that like that consistency. They like things where the water can drain really fast. Yeah, it's taking me a long time to get it to where it's not clay, but... Once you get, I dig down to two feet. It's a, once you get down to two feet, it's, it's solid clay. Fortunately, because no. the hill would slide away. So I'm a huge fan of no dig gardening. Um, it's what I use in my own garden um, because I do create a lot of compost from uh, the dead plant material in my own yard. Uh, this is a great book that I also use called Lasagna Gardening. And it shows you exactly how to create these beds in a lasagna-like fashion so that again, you get what your plants need, which is this really good, very rich, very almost like, I wanna say the consistency of like a baby powder soil. Cause the problem is when you're digging down in that soil, you're also destroying the soil structure. So it's not just about unearthing weed seeds, it's also about destroying the soil itself. And if you're somebody that's concerned about global warming, um, you're releasing carbon when you dig. So ideally, as you get older and clay is hard to dig in, if you build up, you'll never have to dig down again. So I did have a question for you in terms of like being a very, very, very inexperienced gardener. Could you give us three or four or five of the top plants that I can plant for my garden that is both helping everything else out, helping all the insects and birds and anything else, but it's also helping us out in terms of, you know, the garden it thrives and we're able to get food from it. Sure. Um, I mean, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish, right? So, I mean, I would say that probably the top things that I encourage people to do is obviously plant milkweed. Uh, we need more of it. Um, it grows like how we're big. Um, so there's different kinds on, for different areas. So I go common and swamp here, which are native to this area. There are native uh, Californian milkweeds. So you have showy and purple and purple is really lovely. Um, oh, yeah. But the, the point is they can be anywhere between three to six feet tall. Um, there are um, herbs that I highly recommend, not only for your cooking and, and for attracting birds and butterflies, but you know, some of the ones that my birds really like are anise, which is sort of a licorice smelling, um, but it's got purple blooms on it. And um, I read an article today about bees. And what's interesting is blue is the least common color found in nature, but it's crucial in areas where there's not a lot of nutrients to attract pollinators. So if you can plant things that are blue, you will get more pollinators. So- How do you spell that? Uh, what's that? Um, anise. anise. Anise is A-N-I-S-E, anise, it's an herb. 
A-M-I-S-E. Okay, perfect. Now, you guys have kind of a Mediterranean climate, so one of the easy ones for you is going to be lavender. Not only is that going to smell absolutely fabulous when the wind blows, but it's also a mosquito deterrent. So if you don't want mosquitoes, I'd highly recommend putting in some lavender and lemongrass. Lemongrass, when you go to buy it, is going to look pretty pitiful. It'll only be a strand or two, but by the end of the summer, it'll be three to four feet tall and just that big around. Um, I plant that by my back door so that the mosquitoes stay away. But if you're someone who likes to cook with Thai food, uh, it's quite delicious and um, can be kind of expensive at the store. So it can be uh, a nice to grow. So I, I'm, I'm all about growing herbs because they're easy. They're low maintenance. They um, take a beating and uh, they are great to cook with. So I think those are, those are some that I would say right away, I would definitely consider. All right. but you, so I've got, I've got milkweed, I've got anise, I've got lavender, and I've got lemongrass. Lemongrass. What's that? Herbs, people like herbs, 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 yeah. Yep, herbs, herbs are a good one because they, they, I like things that are double duty, right? Things that look nice, but things that I can actually do something with. So obviously the herbs are super easy because I can cook with those, but they provide a lot of beauty and wonderful fragrance. And also, you know, they provide nectar sources for the pollinators. Um, okay. In terms of specific pollinator plants, I really think that, you know, everybody's area is different. And the air, what I would recommend is to head over to nwf.org, uh, nationalwildlifefederation.org. They have a tab for native plants. And if you put in your zip code, it will put, give you a list of the most, uh, the, the best plants for your zip code to attract the most wildlife. And okay. it even shows you what it's going to attract, whether that's a butterfly or a bird or what have you. So in my geography, those are oak trees. Those are um, New England asters and, um, also, there are, there are several others that are really, really helpful that kind of give you that symphony of blooms, things that are going to bloom throughout the season, but also are going to be super beneficial to a whole lot of wildlife. And most people don't have acres and acres to plant, right? So you're trying to maximize what you can support. What's that? Not in Southern California. Not here you don't, no. no. You plant an no. oak tree and you just buried your house, you know, and for most people. So, yeah. you know, we we talked a little bit about what what we needed to talk about this time with some taxes, but we really ran out of time here, and so we're going to come back next week and we're going to talk more about gardening because I think this is really the time of year where gardening is there. And and boy, you got to Dave, you got to jump in there and tell us about you know how do we get ready for the beach and all that good stuff. I got that. I want to tell you it is April and April fifteenth is approaching very quickly, so. On the 8th, we're going to be doing a webinar on how to escape the retirement tax trap. I want to highly recommend you attend that. And so you can do some last minute planning for retire for, for not only for retirement, but for the taxes coming up on April 15th. And you can get that at www.yoursafemoneypeople.com. Hey, Heather, if they want to get more on gardening and, and 
get some information from you, how do they reach out to you? So my website is gardenthoughtfully.com. We have a spring course right now. So we'd love for you to join us there. It's basically six weeks to a beautiful butterfly garden. So we're going to be talking about the things you can be doing in your yard to get prepared for that, including talking about lasagna gardening. So creating those beds so that they are low maintenance, both on you and are good for the soil so that you have great, beautiful soil. So these things are going to grow well. You're going to make an investment. You might as well give it the best chance to survive, right, financial guy? Yeah, that's right. And Dave, <laughs> you know, we do need to start getting ready, get our, our bellies put away for, for the beach coming up here in the not too distant future. And how do they reach out to you to get information on how to, how to do that? I mean, uh, probably the best way would be to email me and that would be Dave at cando.fitness.com. And that's K, that's K-A-N-D-U or K? Yeah. And then okay, so when they say can do, so it's D-A-V-E at K-A-N-D-U dot com, correct? Uh, can do fitness. Okay, so fitness dot com. Perfect. That's it. All right, well, listen, we're healthy, wealthy, and grateful. We want to thank you for coming here. And last week, really quick before we leave, last week I gave you a challenge to go out and contact somebody and tell them why you're grateful. I, it would be great if you could come back and drop us an email or dro drop a comment to us about what, what actually happened. And maybe some point in time, we'll bring you on as a guest to talk to us about how, how working healthy, wealthy, and grateful is working in your life. And be prepared, Dave, be prepared, Heather, because next week I'm gonna come back and ask you, you know, what did you do? Who did you reach out to? How did that work out for you as far as, you know, telling them that you were grateful? And thank you very much. Remember, keep smiling. Remember to live like you're gonna die tomorrow. Plan like you're gonna live forever because you just might. We'll see you next Wednesday. Keep smiling and make it a great day. Thank you for listening to Healthy, Wealthy, and Grateful. Be sure to join our Facebook group. Remember, live like you are going to die tomorrow and plan like you are going to live forever. You just might. And don't forget to stop and smell the flowers along the way.